Amen. Thank you, worship team. Uh, I couldn't be more excited because uh, this weekend we begin a new teaching series through a book of the Bible. This is the stuff I live for, okay? Uh, we're going to be working through uh, this summer, 10 weeks, through the book of Psalms. And let me just come out and say this right away. I believe that every word in this book is true because it corresponds with the way things actually are. We can look into this book and we can very quickly see that uh, the evil we experience in this world is not new. Um, God, in fact, is good. And we see that through the word. It corresponds with the way things actually are. And we're going to begin a journey through the book of Psalms together, if you have your Bible open, to Psalm 100. That's where we're going to begin uh, our study in Psalms, Psalm 100. Here's what you need to know about the Psalms. The Psalms are a massive book located right in the middle of your Bible. Um, the word Psalm literally means song. Uh, that's where the title of the book comes from. They're a compilation of songs from Israel's history. Uh, maybe you've uh, heard it called the Psalter. Um, and this is because the book of Psalms is a little bit like biblical inception. Um, it's the book of Psalms, but within the book of Psalms are five smaller books. It's a book within a book, okay? And there are five books within the book of Psalms, the Psalter. And it's not just a random arrangement of 150 songs from Israel, Israel's history. Uh, in fact, it is a carefully crafted collection of songs. And these five books within the Psalter, within the book of Psalms, uh, retells Israel's history and shows the hand of God watching over and guiding Israel throughout all of their history. The book of Psalms is magnificent theology. It's comforting to our hearts and our souls. The book of Psalms is well worth our time to study. Uh, roughly uh, half of the Psalms are written by King David, a guy you might be familiar with. Uh, he was the archetype of the good and wise king in Israel. You can read about his story in First and Second Samuel. Uh, so roughly half are written by King David. And the other half of the 150 Psalms are either anonymous or written by other figures throughout Israel's history. But nonetheless, it's a collection. It's a compilation of songs that engage our emotions and sharpen our mind and stir our hearts. And they align our minds and our worldview with the way things actually are. Uh, it's the book of Psalms. And if we were to maybe land on one thing that makes the book of Psalms unique in the rest of the Bible, it would be this. The book of Psalms is largely human words spoken to God rather than God's words spoken to humans. Now, let me say this. The book of Psalms is fully, truly, really, completely the word of God for his people. Don't miss that. But the book of Psalms is different. If you've read any of the Psalms before, you'll notice it's different. A lot of it is written in first person, and usually it's not God speaking. It's humans pouring out their heart, lifting up their praise, processing the things going on around them in prayer, in song to God. 
the book of Psalms is unique because it's largely uh, made up of human words to God rather than God's word given directly to humans. And I think this is why the book of Psalms throughout literally the last 3,000 years has been viewed as the prayer book of the people of God. And over the next 10 weeks, we're gonna focus on this aspect of the Psalms. The fact that the Psalms are not just meant to be read and studied intellectually, but they're meant to be prayed, and they're meant to be experienced. They're meant to inform not only our minds, but also our, our hearts. And maybe this is a new concept to you. I know several years ago, uh, in junior high school, when I was first introduced to this idea that you can actually pray scripture, Maybe that's foreign to you. Maybe when you think of prayer, you, you just think about uh, lifting up a request that's going on in your life to the Lord, or maybe praying uh, aspects of the Lord's prayer, but man, the book of Psalms is the prayer book of God's people. It has been for thousands of years prior, and it continues to be that today. The Bible should be read, but it should also be prayed. Uh, here's, here's what I believe, and here's why I believe we can do this with the Psalms and with the Word of God. Um, I really believe that the Bible's not just a historical document to be read, but it's a living word from God to be experienced. It, it's, it's living, it's active, it's eternal. It doesn't, it doesn't just tell us about what happened in the past, though it does. It also speaks to our circumstance so vividly today because it's not bound by time. It's given to us by an eternal creator and it continues to speak. God continues to speak through his word. He continues to engage his people through his word. Uh, the Psalms should be read but also prayed. It's the prayer book of God's people. And if this is a new concept to you, uh, by way of preface, before we get into Psalm 100, I want to be able to give you three reasons to pray the Psalms. Three reasons to pray the Psalms. Uh, the first reason is this. The will of God is found in the word of God. The will of God is found in the word of God. So when you pray the word of God over your life, you are uh, absolutely fully and most purely praying the will of God for your life. One of the great joys I have as a, as a pastor professional Christian, uh, is being able to meet with people often. And as I meet with uh, high schoolers or college students or young adults, people that are in transitions, one of the questions I get asked the most is, man, what's the will of God for my life? What's God's plan for my life? And maybe you're there today. I think we all experience that, and it's good to wrestle with that. Um, scripture doesn't give us a roadmap of who to marry or where to go to school or should we relocate or which job should we take? But we know that the will of God is found in the word of God. So I'll often tell people, just start praying and reading through the scripture. And though that won't tell you exactly what to do, it will start to align your heart, your worldview, your perspective with the heartbeat and will of God. It starts to open your spiritual eyes, so to speak, so you can start to see and discern the will of God and start to uh, notice when he is speaking to you through his word. 
Uh, the will of God is found in the word of God. So when you pray the word of God, you are praying the will of God for your life. It's one of the reasons we pray the Psalms. Second reason we pray the Psalms is because the Psalms engage our emotions. Now I know the E word emotions may be a bad word for some of you. It uh, might be a scary word for many of you. A lot of us have like three emotions, hungry, angry, or asleep, right? Um, but that's not the biblical view of emotions, right? Um, emotions are gifts given to us by our creator God, and they are to be uh, informed and reined in by the scripture, but they're not to be suppressed, right? Maybe you grew up in a, in a family, or maybe you have this mindset today where um, emotions have led you astray in the past, and so you just kind of try and suppress your emotions. It's a kind of uh, stoicism, right? That's not the biblical vision for our uh, emotions. Men, the Psalms give us permission that it's okay to not be okay with what's going on in our lives and in the world around us. In fact, roughly one-third of the Psalms are Psalms of lament, Godly people like King David and Solomon, Moses even, in the book of Psalms, they're lamenting. They're questioning God's activity in the world. It's good and it's okay to, to, to do this. The Psalms give us permission. They engage our emotions. The Psalms are with us at the low points in our lives, but they're also there for the high points of praise and rejoicing and thanksgiving in our, in our lives. The Psalms engage our emotions. Third reason to pray the Psalms, and I love this one. We pray the Psalms because our Lord and Savior, Jesus, prayed the Psalms. Jesus was a Jewish rabbi, and so uh, growing up, he would have prayed the Psalms often. As Psalm chapter one says, um, blessed is the man who meditates on the law day and night. It was common for Jews to, uh, still to this day, pray the Psalms daily, regularly. But we also have account of Jesus praying the Psalms. I love this, when Jesus was on the cross, he prayed Psalm 22. It's a familiar passage. Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's Psalm 22. So I want you to understand this. Jesus, in his greatest point of anguish, had the word of God, the Psalms, hidden so deep within his heart that from that reservoir where he hid God's word in his heart, it came out in speech in that point of anguish on the cross. Jesus prayed the Psalms to show us that it is good as children of God, to pray the Psalms and hide them deep in our hearts. So we pray the Psalms because the will of God is found in the word of God. The Psalms engage our emotions. They give us permission to not be okay when things aren't going well. And Jesus, our Lord and Savior, he prayed the Psalms as a regular part of his life. And so with that preface, much more could be said, but with that preface, uh, we're gonna kick off our time, our study in the Psalms this summer by looking at Psalm 100. 
And this is a type of psalm uh, called a psalm of thanksgiving. Or in your Bibles, if you have one near you, uh, there might be a subtitle beneath Psalm 100, and it says, a psalm for giving thanks. It's a psalm designed for giving thanks, a psalm of thanksgiving. Would you read with me Psalm 100, five short verses? It says this, Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name for the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. A psalm for giving thanks. If I can be honest with you, um, I wasn't feeling this psalm this week. This was a very difficult sermon to study for and write. And it's not because the psalm itself is difficult. Um, Actually, the interpretation is pretty clear. It's a five-verse call to be thankful. Give praise to God. It says it in the subtitle. It's a psalm of thanksgiving. The interpretation, that wasn't difficult. No, this is a difficult psalm for me and probably for many of you this week um, because of the cultural climate in which we're reading and studying and in which I'm preaching this. Yeah, I mean, we, we're navigating tremendous, tremendous division uh, in our country and in our world. I mean, we're, we're navigating a, a worldwide disease and plague. Um, we're, we're processing and having conversations, many of us for the first time, on what it means to be biblically just and what it means to stand up for the oppressed. Uh, it's difficult. In my lifetime, I've never seen uh, this much division and hostility. That's not to say it's never been like this, but th th this is unprecedented for many of us in our lifetime. And if you're like me, it's really difficult to give thanks in light of everything going on. It almost feels tone deaf, you know? It, it almost feels tone deaf to give thanks it almost feels like, okay, we're gonna uh, shut off our minds from what's going on in the world so we can take 30 minutes to give thanks and then we'll see if we can jump back into the real world. Like, we have these categories in our brains that feels kind of tone deaf and strange and uncomfortable to give thanks in light of everything going on. Like, how can we give thanks? Are you with me? That's what I've been wrestling with this week. How do we give thanks in light of everything going on and Hear me in this, the evil we are experiencing, the injustice, the oppression, the disease, the division, that is real, but it's not new. Yeah, it's real, but it's not new. And so as I'm studying Psalm 100, I'm reminded that the book of Psalms, it wasn't written when everything was going well around them. Um, not all was right in the world, 
some thousands of years ago. This evil is not new. In fact, roughly the first half of the book of Psalms, the first 70 Psalms or so, most of them are written by King David. And King David is the anointed king of Israel, but he's not yet on the throne because Saul, the first king of Israel, is trying to kill him. He hates David. David is writing these Psalms while on the run from the king of Israel, even though he's anointed to be king and he's, he's waiting. It's a mess. Many of the Psalms in the middle of the book were written before, directly before, during, and directly after the biblical exile. In 586 BC, when the mighty nation of Babylon, King Nebuchadnezzar, came in, completely devoted to destruction, the temple of God, tore families apart, hauled people off into exile, violent, terrible for 70 years. Psalms were written during that time. So I say all that to say this. Every generation of God's people have had to wrestle with what does it mean to give thanks when there is no reason to give thanks around us. That's what I want to drill down into in our time together today. I want you to observe in Psalm 100 and every other Psalm of Thanksgiving that I can see as I studied over the last couple of weeks. Um, I want you to see, and this is key, I want you to see that the call to give thanks for the people of God in the Psalms is always based on the activity or character of God. The call to give thanks in the Psalms is always based on the character or activity of God. And that's our reason to give thanks. It's because when we see injustice in the world, we know that we serve a God who is fundamentally just in his character. When we see disease, oppression, brokenness, and relational isolation in the world, we know that we serve a God who is shalom, whole, peace, good, the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the healer. We give thanks because our God is, is good. That's the basis of thanksgiving. And so with that being said, here's the big idea that we're going to unpack in Psalm 100 today. It is this, God's people of all people, have reason to be thankful. God's people of all people have reason to be thankful. And you might not believe that in this moment. I know I had to wrestle with even writing that down this, this week. But I'm convinced, and I want to convince you from Psalm 100 in the next few minutes, that regardless of what's going on around us in our world, God's people of all people have reason to be thankful. Psalm 100 is structured in a really neat way. These psalms are brilliant poetry. They're not just um, happenstance and makeshift put together. They're very well put together. Um, the structure of Psalm 100 uh, is this. It's broken up into two sections. And in each of these two sections is a call to give thanks and then a reason for doing so a call to give thanks, and a reason for doing so. Here's the first call and reason given. It's Psalm 100, verses 1 through 3. The first reason is we are the people of God. We are the people of God. I'll read verses 1 through 3 again. This is the threefold call to thanksgiving. Make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. 
Whether we are working or whether we are worshiping, the call remains the same. Give thanks to the Lord. And verse three gives the reason. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his. If you have a Bible, underline this or highlight it. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. We are the people of God. This is the first reason, the first basis for giving thanks. I need you to think about that with me, like really think about it with me for a moment. What an awesome claim. We are the people of God. The the creator of the universe, the one who is bound by nothing outside of himself, the one who is sovereign over and the orchestrator of human history, the creator of all things seen and unseen, bound by nothing, says, I'm going to, by my own volition, my own will, partner with my human creation in covenant relationship. And I will vow to act faithfully all of their days to my people. The God who needs nothing enters into a binding covenant relationship with his creation. Says, I will act justly to my people. We are his people. You need to know that this is a a privilege to be called the people of God. We're not born as God's children. We're born as God's creation. And scripture says, because of sin, we are born as children, not of God, but children of, of wrath. John chapter one, verse 12, the introduction to uh, the fourth biography of Jesus' life. The apostle John says, to those who believed in Jesus' name, God, the Father, gave the right to become children of God. To be called the child of God, to be called the people of God, is not a birthright. It's, a, it's an adoptive privilege. It's a new birthright. We must be born again to be called the children of God. This is a privilege. The Apostle Peter in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 through 10, said it brilliantly, and I want to read it to you. It says this, speaking to the church, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy set-apart nation, a people for God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are a people. Once you had not received mercy, now you have received mercy. Once you were not a people, but now you're God's people. You need to know that I am nothing be it not for Christ adopting me into the family of God. Nothing apart from that. I am nobody. And anything in me apart from Christ is worthless and messy and sinful and broken. 
it's not good. But we are the people of God. And this is our basis for giving thanks. The psalm goes on to say, we are his people, we are the sheep of his pasture. We serve a God who is great and good. We serve a God who is a good shepherd to his people. The livelihood of a shepherd is their sheep. And I encourage you this week to read John chapter 10 where Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I lay down my life for the sheep. I go after the lost sheep of Israel. Our God's a good shepherd. We are the people of God, the sheep of his pasture. That's the first reason. We are the people of God. This is our identity. This is who we are because of the work of Christ. We are the people of God. Of God, the psalm says, give thanks because this is a privilege. The second reason to give thanks is this, verses four and five. The Lord is good. Here's the second call to thanksgiving. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. That's temple language. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. Why? Well, for the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever, his faithfulness to all generations. The second reason to give thanks is because the Lord is good. You need to know that this is not uh, just what God does, but this is actually who God is. He is good. It's in his fundamental nature to be good, and he cannot act otherwise toward his people. This is not a statement of uh, uh, condition. It's not God is good, but... No, it's God is good. The Lord is good. This is who he is. It's certain. It's true. Psalm goes on to say, his steadfast love endures forever. I usually don't like to show my work in the Hebrew, but the Hebrew word's a fun one for steadfast love. It is chesed. Kind of got to clear your throat a little bit. I say that because it's the strongest word for love in the Hebrew language. It can be translated steadfast love. It can also be translated covenant loyalty. God's covenant loyalty toward his people, it endures forever. His faithfulness, he's faithful to every generation. I love talking with people that are older than I am, people that have walked with the Lord longer than I have. And as I do that, I see a pretty consistent theme in their lives. It is that uh, year after year, decade after decade, regardless of circumstance, trial, and suffering, there's a lot of it, they say, man, but God's been faithful to me. They, they look at their grandkids. Maybe some of you can look at your grandkids and say, man, God has been faithful to me. That's reason to give thanks. This is the testimony of the church. The Lord is good. His covenant loyalty, his steadfast love, it, it always endures. And his faithfulness to all generations. He hasn't let me down. He won't let the next generation down. God is, is faithful. This is who he is. God's people of all people have reason to be thankful. We have reason to be thankful. Because regardless of what's going on around us, it's very real. 
regardless of what's going on around us, we are God's people. And he's a good shepherd to his people. Regardless of what's going on around us, it's really bad. It's really evil. It's really destructive. Yeah, but God's word says the Lord's still good. And because God is good, he, he, he's going to make right all that is wrong in the world. God has a father's heart for his people. He will walk with you through times of anguish and suffering and brokenness. And we give thanks because of that. I want to wrap up by bringing to your attention something you're maybe not aware of. Um, we read in the Old Testament, which is prior to the coming of Jesus, but we believe that the law, the prophets, the Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament are fulfilled and they come to their climax in the person and work of Jesus. And I'm thankful because today as New Testament Christians, we have what the Old Testament audience of Psalm 100 did not, and that is we have the perspective of the cross. God's people of all people have reason to be thankful, and how much more because of the cross of Christ. So the, the Psalm says, yeah, we are God's people, and as if there were any doubt in our minds, we can look to Christ who secures the people of God by his own blood on the cross. He died to gather into one the children of God that are scattered across the world, the book of John says. It's the perspective of the cross. We're God's people and Jesus secures us with his own blood. And if you've ever doubted the goodness of God, I invite you to look no further than the cross of Christ. Man, God is so good. God is so just that he sent Jesus to display in infinite proportions his goodness toward his people. Jesus took on human flesh to live the life that you and I could not live. Jesus took on human suffering to die the death for sin that you and I deserve to die. And Jesus, by the power of the Spirit of God working in him, rose again three days later to give new life to all who would place their faith in him. This is the goodness of God displayed infinitely in the person and work of Jesus Christ. We have the perspective of the cross. And that's all the reason to give thanks. God's people of all people have reason to be thankful. And so I want to encourage you. Take this week to work through Psalm 100. Take this week to let the Psalms inform you 
in, in understanding the activity and character of God. And let the activity and character of God in the Psalms be the basis for your giving thanks. We have reason to be thankful in the Father and demonstrated most fully in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? Father, we shout for joy and we give thanks because you are good. Because we are your people. It doesn't matter what we've done or what's been done to us. We look to the cross. And because of the cross, we have certainty that we're your people and you are good. So God, today as we look out into the world and see that things are not as they should be, would you strengthen our hearts and give us the grace that we need to still praise and give thanks to you because regardless of what's going on around us, regardless of what's going on in us, your character does not change. Your word is true. We are still your people. You are still good. Remind your people of that truth today. Thank you for your word. It's in Jesus' precious name we pray, amen.